Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. We're getting back to another one of our episodes on General Brown's Accelerate Change or Lose paper. A couple of weeks ago, we gave an introduction where we highlighted the wave top version of what this paper covers. And again, we want to emphasize, if you have not read General Brown's paper, really need to stop listening right now, go read it, check it out. We've included a link in the show notes because only then will a lot of our conversation make a lot of sense. Today's episode, we're going to get into more detail on the first two points. We're going to discuss the future of air power. We'll talk about our acquisitions process a little bit, and a lot of this will be centered in and around the idea of the great power competition. Yeah, Reed, I'm going to have to admit something here to you that this discussion that we're going to have today is very far outside of my wheelhouse. My experience in the Air Force up to this point has been pretty far removed from these specific topics. And so I'm going to have to rely on you and your experience because you spent the first part of your career within acquisitions as a chemist. And now you have cross-trained into the intelligence career field where you get to see a lot of this type of stuff play out in real time in your daily responsibilities. Yeah. I have seen a lot of this stuff and I have touched it. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to outlining the world as I see it, so to speak. I think it'll help provide context because I think one of the most important things that our audience can take away from this episode today is a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about is the background and context that your Department of Defense is operating under. It is the vision that they have regarding the state of the world. And if you don't see that, if you don't understand that vision, a lot of the decision-making and actions that are happening don't make sense. And so I, I think this will be really good to highlight and outline where we are, if you will. Yeah, I think this is going to be really good for me as an officer in the Air Force. But along with that, many of our airmen, many of our audience members are in that exact same boat with me. And so it's going to be useful to us all to have this discussion and learn from your experience and, and what you've been doing in the Air Force uh, over the last decade or so. Awesome. I'm going to kick it off with another homework assignment, Colin. Before we get going too much farther, I need oh, folks dear. to... Oh, Yeah, you, I know. You I'm know, it, it's still Thanksgiving break, right? I know. And I'm just now wrapping up my intermediate development education IDE. And so I'm all ready to get back to reading and doing stuff like this. That was sarcasm for our audience. <laughs> I'm, I'm done doing homework. But <laughs> in all seriousness, we do need to have the audience to review the 2018 National Defense Strategy. That sounds like a little bit of light reading. Well, there is a great summary that we've attached a link to in the show notes. That is what I actually recommend. Unless you have access to the classified version, this is a really good, hey, this is what we care about. These are our big rocks. And this document, the NDS 2018, it outlines the current threat environment. 
it describes what the Department of Defense objectives and goals and strategic approach is. This is the 75,000 foot view for the entire Department of Defense. This is what all of our bosses say we need to be doing what we need to be thinking about. So what you're saying is that down at the lowest level, you know, two weeks ago when we talked about the overview for Jenner Brown's paper, we said that the change is going to happen at the CGO and the NCO level. And so you're saying that the CGO and the NCO down at the, quote, bottom of the totem pole needs to understand the 75,000 foot view of the national defense strategy. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Without question. Yes. Imagine, if you will, that we're all in a large rowboat, right? And the 2018 NDS is the proverbial, this is the direction we are all rowing. Yes, you can put your shoulder to the wheel, you can work really hard, you can dig in and you can row with all your might. But if you don't know where you're going and you're not on the same page with everybody else, those efforts are going to be disparate. They're going to be incongruous. They're not going to be working together. This is the entire Department of Defense's direction. This is where we're going. And I really do think everybody up and down the chain needs to know that. Okay. Take us through it, please. All right. So we're going to review it very briefly. There's a lot in there. Again, strongly recommend if you have not read the 2018 National Defense Strategy, go to the show notes, click the link, spend some time. It gives you the whole threat picture. But bottom line, it outlines... First and foremost, that we are in a great power competition. And this is a change from where we've been over the last 25 years. What is that? The great power competition outlines that the world order that was established post-World War II is eroding. And there's been a re-emergence of a great power competition. And specifically, it outlines that China and Russia are the two most significant threats to the United States, followed by Iran the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, also known as North Korea, and violent extremist organizations. And these are collectively known as the two plus three. Colin, I don't know if you've heard this kind of thrown around in conversation or seen you know, on forums and things like that, but people will regularly drop you know, two plus three. This is what they're talking about, that the new threat strategy, the new threat environment is the two plus three. Yeah. So apparently I'm not plugged into the, the right forums where this sort of thing is being discussed because I honestly have never seen it described as a two plus three. And, you know, in my day-to-day life, I don't usually think of China as an adversary. I mean, my iPhone came from China and so they seem to me to be pretty great. I mean, I, I've heard about Russia meddling in our uh, elections and not being very friendly to us in that way. And obviously I know about uh, Iran and uh, North Korea and you know, some of the, the nuclear stuff go- going on. But, you know, I don't have access to the, the classified version of the 2018 NDS. And so I have not read through this and I'm not in forums that discuss this kind of thing. And I don't work in the intelligence environment. And so a lot of this stuff is pretty foreign to me. Yeah. And that's a good perspective to have because ever since I joined the Air Force in 2011, this idea of the pivot to the Pacific and rebalancing you know, against our most significant adversaries, I'm not a fan. China is not our friend. And that's the way I view the world. This is what is outlined as the strategic threat environment, that threats from new and emerging tech are also changing and the current battlefield is different than it's ever been. Character of war is still there but everything is changing. So 
The next thing it does is it covers a bunch of goals for the department. And I'm not going to enumerate all of them. They're, they're quite a bit. It's a long list. But they're the things that you would think make sense for the Department of Defense. Defend the homeland, defend our allies, defeat threats, that kind of thing. They're big hand, small map. Have you ever heard that? You know, they're kind of broad and, you know, big overview covers no, a lot I, of things. No, I've yeah. never heard of that. Okay, so that, that's maybe another like Intel-y thing. But yeah, if you ever see someone point to something, like gesture to all of something and say, this is what we're going to do. You're like, that's useless, right? Because it's covering everything and nothing all at the same time. That's big hand, small map. Sorry, I just thought that you were making some sort of you know, comment about the size of your hands. No, I have the smallest hands. <laughs> of any adult male. I'm pretty confident in this country. <laughs> Thanks for highlighting that for me, Colin. I appreciate it. I'm not sensitive about that at all. All right, moving on. So the next thing that it covers is the strategic approach that the Defense Department is going to take. We're not going to go through all of these things in detail. The biggest thing I want our audience to take away from this discussion about the 2018 NDS, and again, plug, please go read it, is that this is the background and context for everything the Department of Defense is doing. It ties to every activity. It ties to recruiting. It ties to changes in sessions, in training, in retention, in modernization, in acquisitions, everything that the department is doing. This is the document that they have to point to. And without that understanding, a lot of what happens around you may not look familiar. It may not make a lot of sense. And that is a plug to get us back to accelerate, change, or lose because the things that are introduced in the first few paragraphs here and the ones we're going to talk about today directly tie to this. And I think as, you, as we go through that, I'm going to continue to reference the NDS so we can see all those ties. Yeah. And before we get in back into accelerate, change, or lose real quick, I want to make the plug again that all CGOs, all NCOs need to go read the, the 2018 NDS. I mean, I think back to the toolbox episode that we did about bullet writing and the discussion around elevating your vision. This is what we want you to elevate your vision to. If you can make the connection between what you are doing today and what is written in the 2018 NDS, it, it's going to make your job that much easier to understand like what you were saying about you know being in the rowboat and everybody rowing in in the same direction and that's the direction that we all need to be headed in all cgos ncos all airmen all the way up to general brown the chief of staff of the air force 100 percent couldn't agree more so getting back to accelerate change or lose what we need to understand is that Jenner Brown, it says in, in his paper that appreciation for the scope and challenge of achieving these goals continues to build. But despite these calls to action, there has not yet been a sufficient urgency for the change that the NDS and other intelligence documents prescribe. Our current pace of change will not suffice to maintain our advantage in combat or in great power competition. Yeah. This is him saying, I'm sick and tired of people admiring the problem. I mean, that's just straight up. Appreciation, that's how we say. Yeah, I got it. You all understand this is hard. Okay, just stop pointing and admiring. Let's get after this and let's fix it. 
But he calls out the Air Force even further. He's saying that the erosion of the United States advantage within the military and in great power competition is particularly consequential for the Air Force. He says that because of our unique value propositions to the nation, our ability to provide strategic deterrence and employ global effects on near immediate timelines, the erosion of our ability to do that is going to greatly diminish our ability to achieve those objectives outlined in the NDS. If you think back to our discussion two weeks ago, we talked about the tyranny of distance that applies to the, the Navy and the Army, but that does not apply to us in that we are able to get pretty much anywhere within the world within a 24-hour period. That is what enables us to provide that strategic deterrence and employ global effects. But that is all going to change if we don't adapt and accelerate now to ensure our ability to continue to serve the nation. Yeah. And then he actually outlines how these things are tied to the five core missions of the Air Force. And I think that was really key. And I think that's another sign that he's pointing to every single NCO and CGO in the Air Force. He's not saying that this is just the air superiority mission or this is just global strike. No, this is the entire Air Force. Every aspect of our ability to fight, fly, fight, and win is going to be diminished if we don't accelerate change now. We are going to lose in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So five core missions of the Air Force, air and space superiority, two, ISR intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance three, rapid global mobility, four, global strike, five, command and control. Those things are, as he described, uniquely tied to global reach, to the ability to eliminate that tyranny of distance toward our enemies, right? I just love how he highlighted all five of those things and how those are all uniquely impacted in the 2018 NDS and the goals we're trying to achieve. But he does say that with respect to these missions, which are unlikely to change, we as airmen must think differently about what it means to fly, fight, and win. Let's get into that a little bit more. Uh, I want to have a discussion here about what is the future of air power, how this is all impacted by our acquisitions process, and what are some of the opportunities for us to accept this challenge to accelerate change so that we don't end up losing later. Yeah. Something in our in this discussion and previous we've talked about is our aircraft and infrastructure, how old it is. And we're just going to keep going on that for a little bit. We'll start with the B-52, uh, the Mighty Buff. All of them that are flying today were produced between 1952 and 1962. And their current plan for active service will keep them flying for 100 years. 100 years. <laughs> it's just staggering to me. And that's not hitting at the capability of the aircraft. It's hitting at the mentality that got us to a place where a hundred year lifespan is okay. I want to make sure and highlight that. He's not saying that the B-52 is not a good aircraft and everybody who's you know touching that mission, we're not hitting at you or your performance. We're hitting at the idea that we have sat back in our lounge chairs on our ivory tower and said, yeah, that's fine. You know, the dog in the flaming cafe. Everything is fine. We're just going to keep flying it. It's going to be okay. 
Yeah, and the same can be said about uh, many of our other aircraft. The KC-135 was actually designed at the same time as the B-52. They're a package deal. Yeah, exactly. That the, the idea of the B-52 was only possible because there was also going to be a KC-135, an air refueler that would go wherever the B-52 was going to make sure that it could deliver its package, whether nuclear or conventional, right? And so the, the current plan is also for the KC-135 to serve for a hundred years, though there is plan in place to replace the KC-135 sooner than we're going to really replace the B-52. And that's what the, the KC-46. Yeah, exactly. C-130, been around since the 1950s. The current slate of fighter aircraft, the 15, the 16, the F-18, and the A-10, were all largely produced as a result of Colonel John Boyd's energy maneuver theory. Highly recommend reading some of his material. It is engineery, to say the least. I don't find it very approachable, and I'm a science-y guy, but it's brilliance. Just pure, unadulterated brilliance. And But it was yeah. brilliance in the 1970s, and that's the issue. It's not yes. that it's not brilliant. It's that it's old. Yes, absolutely. F-22, still widely regarded as the most capable stealth fighter, is already 20 years old. And, and that just blows my mind. Yeah. So just think about where we are with our aircraft, with our technology. They are not bad systems. The ideas that led to them are old, and we need to move more quickly forward. Colin, I think this is where we're going to move to your ideas with you know, infrastructure. This is definitely in your wheelhouse. Yeah. So similar idea to with our aircraft, the infrastructure that supports the aircraft has been around for a long time as well. Most of what the Air Force currently owns and operates was built between the 1950s and the 1970s when the Air Force was really in, in the heyday of its growth and development. You know, this was you know, right after the end of World War II and the, the arms race of the Cold War, Strategic Air Command, you know, SAC, you know, SAC days when that was the organization that was uh, soaking up all the money uh, for the Air Force and, and, and spending it in order to achieve what was then the national defense strategy, right? Well, and, and really the DOD writ large. I mean, the Air Force was the new shiny penny, but we were the big deal because air power had redefined and especially nuclear weapons had redefined the it had redefined warfare. It had redefined the global security architecture of the entire planet, which he outlined in the very beginning of this section is changing. The global order established post-World War II is changing. and But we've still been riding that bow wave, if you will, of all the money and infrastructure and architecture and everything that happened at that time. We're still riding that wave and we need to realize that the wave is over. You know, it's really interesting when you think about Milcon and getting buildings built and infrastructure and things like that. You know, General Brown has written extensively about going away from having centralized basing. He is way past just rebuilding what we have. We provided a link to a really interesting paper that he wrote where his vision is a C-17 landing on an austere runway somewhere and then two F-15s land you know, in the middle of the night and an entire crew on the C-17 with all their infrastructure and hardware and weapons and everything, they reload, refuel, refit these aircraft, and then they launch again. And then the C-17 disappears and goes someplace else. So he's already way past like having big 
enduring bases all over the globe. And so he's already like five steps ahead of everybody else and has been writing about this for a while. Yeah, this is in reaction to the way that the Air Force has been operating for a long time, which is where these massive installations operate as their own mini city, if you will, that, that they can close their gates and be self-sustaining in perpetuity. But I think that as General Brown wrote about in his paper about dispersed or untethered operations, but also I think COVID and, and the way that has forced much of the Air Force to move to a remote work environment shows that the the centralized basing model just isn't sustainable, both fiscally, you know, the amount of money that it takes to operate these things, but also just operationally, if we ever find ourselves in an environment where airmen are not able to congregate in a central location for a long period of time because of disease or threat of nuclear conventional attacks or something along those lines, the Air Force needs to think of possibly operating under this kind of untethered uh, sort of manner. Just think about the Iranian theater ballistic missile attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq in the last year or so, right? From thousands of miles away, someone launched some steel tubes full of explosives at airmen at an installation. And that's the threat that he's outlining. We can no longer have this big base and say, oh, you can't touch us, but we can come touch you. That's not going to work anymore. And, you know, we might still have these big bases in garrison, you know, here in the United States, but especially overseas, as we, you know, get closer to our enemies, we just have to rethink the way we do things. I think that it needs to change here in the States too, because, you know, as we alluded to, and we'll, in our overview, and we'll get into further discussion in a couple of weeks, that the private business world is moving to remote work. COVID has forced that. And that presents an option to our airmen or those who might join the Air Force that is something that they may want to pursue if they can't get it within the Air Force. They may say, I want to have the flexibility of working from anywhere there's an internet connection and they don't want to have to be tethered to any one particular location. Yeah, it's a whole mindset shift, right? I don't know about you, but every time I go to a new unit, one of the first things you have to do is provide your address and phone number for the recall roster so that they can come knock on your door if you don't show up when you're supposed to. But that is an old way of thinking. It is, yeah. So really fascinating stuff. And yeah, it absolutely highlights the new way we have to approach this problem. So Jenna Brown also gets into some other things that are part of this future of air power. And, and that is this idea of multi-domain or all-domain operations. And that's military speak for what the commercial world or the private business world calls the Internet of Things in that there is all of the stuff that's interconnected with each other that are on the ground, in the air, in, the, in space, or in the water, that through the electromagnetic spectrum are able to communicate to, with each other and share information. Yeah, this has been something that our chairman of the Joint Chiefs and, and our chief in particular have been talking about for a while. And again... We're just not getting there fast enough. We don't have the attitude to move there quickly enough. If you think about it, 
the whole idea of joint warfare really came into its own 1980 Goldwater Nichols Act timeframe, post operational Eagle Claw. And if you think just about just real how quick, far, read, yeah, what is that as a reminder for our audience who aren't familiar with Operation Eagle Claw? Sure. When the Iranian Revolution occurred, there were a number of Americans and other Allied partners who were trapped in Iran that were hostages. So the Iranian hostage crisis, they were there for I think, 444 days, if memory serves. Bad thing, right? You know, our embassy was overrun. Americans were captured. This is not okay with who, you know, what we stand for. At the time, President Carter ordered the armed forces to perform a hostage rescue and go get these Americans. And it was the Navy and the Air Force primarily that were involved in this, as long, along with some Army, Rotary. And basically, it was a huge disaster. We had helicopters running into C-130s, running into gas bags full of fuel in the desert. I mean, it was just a disaster, total disaster. Turns out, like, Navy radios couldn't communicate with Air Force radios. Air refueling systems were incompatible between the services. Basically, each service had built its own fiefdom. And they were they didn't play nice with the other services in any way, shape, or form. So Congress mandated, hey, you guys are going to figure this out. You're going to become a joint service. And now I can't even imagine doing any operation without my Marine, Navy, or Army brethren. Like I, I can't even imagine what that looks like. So I do think we've come a long way. This is the next step beyond that. It's to have all of those things almost with like a shared consciousness. And Again, our chiefs have been talking about this for a long time. We're just not moving there quickly enough. Yeah, and the F-35 has actually done wonders for this in that we have a single platform that is being used, that's being used by the Air Force, by the Navy, by the Marines. And that just in itself shows that we're making progress. I mean, it's called the Joint Strike Fighter, right? But also in the way that it operates, in the way that it is like a hub of information that allows a greater interconnectivity between the ground, the air, the space, and everywhere in between. Yep. And if you think back to the core missions of the Air Force, again, to, to highlight the importance our service is playing in this, command and control, right? We play a key role in how this all works and rolls out. Another thing he talks about is persistence through remotely piloted aircraft and other autonomous systems. Whether you like it or not, RPAs are here to stay. They're going to be part of the future, and it's something we have to embrace instead of accept. And, and whether you agree with Elon Musk or not, you know, whether unmanned aircraft are going to be the, the future of air power or not, the idea of persistence is not going to go away. Because prior to you know, our day and age, all the aircraft that we described earlier to include the F-35 are not persistent they require that they be refueled on a regular basis in order to stay in the fight. Otherwise, they have to return back to the base, get refueled, and then come back again. And additionally, even though we do have aerial refueling, the limiting factor then becomes the physical abilities of the flyer who's piloting the aircraft. But yes, we do have and have done global missions where we launch from the United States, fly around the world, and then come back. But we're limited by the pilots. They got to sleep. They got to eat. They got to poo. Like these are human beings. And you remove that 
from the aircraft and it opens up an incredible array of options that just we haven't fully explored yet. Yeah. And it's not that the, the capability doesn't exist. It does exist. And it's not that we're not using it or that it's not great. It's that we need to do more with it and we need to do better with it. And we need to do that now. Yep, absolutely. Next thing Jordan Brown talks about is our role in the nuclear enterprise. Nuclear weapons will be part of the strategy going to future. Our nuclear capabilities underwrite our entire Department of Defense and our and our defense posture. It is the ace in the hole. But this is something that I have to ask about because when we're talking about great power competition, Russia has that exact capability that we do. And I'm not very familiar. Maybe you can help me with this. I don't know what China's nuclear capability is, but I imagine that it's similar to what we have or could very easily become that. Yeah. China and Russia are both in the same league when it comes to threats of that category. Absolutely. Last thing in this section that General Brown talks about is the importance of the electromagnetic spectrum. This is something a lot of folks don't talk about, but I do want to highlight for our audience that we just reorganized two numbered air forces. So the 24th and 25th Air Force were combined into a single NAF, the 16th Air Force, specifically to highlight and to bring more forces to bear and elevate the prestige of electromagnetic spectrum and how it impacts the current battlefield. Yeah, and that goes back to our comments around multi-domain operations, the integration of air, space, cyberspace, ground, maritime, all of these things have to be able to operate in that joint multi-domain, all-domain space in order to achieve the, the effects of the NDS. Yeah, and if you aren't tracking, again, we'll make that tie, right? If you're not tracking the NDS, the realignment of 24th and 25th Air Force into a single NAF doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it seems like, man, a lot of these are pretty different capabilities. But why are they all in a single one? It's because of this idea of information warfare, the electromagnetic spectrum. And combating the same or similar capabilities that, that are growing within great power competition rivals like Russia and China. Exactly. All right. The next thing we wanted to talk about, I'm going to have to choose my words carefully. I left the acquisitions community gleefully. And why is that, Reed? Because, oh, okay, my scientist brain is very black and white. And I was in the basic acquisitions course for all acquisitions officers. It's called the Fundamentals of Acquisitions Management, FAM. Three weeks at a nondescript business building outside of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. And part of the purchasing plan when you need to buy something, the Air Force is going to outline what it calls key performance parameters, KPPs. This makes sense. Colin, if you're going to buy a new family transportation vehicle, you're going to have key performance parameters. This vehicle must contain seven seats, let's just say, right? It must have all-wheel drive because you live in Utah, it snows, Amy wants all-wheel drive, you said yes, ma'am. Something like to that effect, right? Okay. <laughs> Which Whatever is why we is, own Subarus. Yeah, there you go. So you outline the things that are must-haves, right? The key performance parameters. 
And this test question or quiz question or something was, all right, here are the KPPs for this missile system. And here's what are provided by vendors. Here's what they have said they can do. And as I'm looking at this list, I'm like, wait a minute, none of these products that are being offered meet all of the KPPs. They were deficient in some area. Say one was short on range, say one was short on uh, explosive capability, say one couldn't mount all the aircraft it needed to or something, right? Like I'm looking at the list, I'm like, I can't buy any of these because they don't meet all the KPPs. And the instructor's like, oh no, that is not the right answer. And I'm like, oh yes, that is the right answer. What do you, you know, like that, I just couldn't wrap my head around how you could buy something that didn't meet your needs. So it was at that day that I'm like, man, I got to get out of this career field. This is not going to work for me. There's just so much broken about it. And a lot of it isn't our fault. And we're going to highlight that in a couple of key ways, right? A lot of this is dictated to us and we need to be respectful and understand that. This is a hard system and, and I don't want to be too derogatory, but it's something I've struggled with my whole career. Like what business do we have even doing this stuff? It sounds like that General Brown is also struggling with it. He's making a point that we need to do better at the way that we acquire our stuff. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, I, we're going to lose. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, let's just use one example of, of this and how it's hard, right? Let's talk about colors of money. Colin, why don't you give us a brief review of the beauty of colors of money? So I'm not an expert on this, but civil engineering deals with a lot of different colors of money. And let, let me explain what those are very briefly. So within the Department of Defense, there are different types of appropriations or buckets or categories of money that have rules or stipulations around how that money can be used. For example, O&M, Operations and Maintenance, is the largest bucket or the largest category and has the greatest range of flexibility in how it can be spent. Anything that falls under the category of operations, such as like the purchase of fuel or the um, maintenance of a building, that all falls under O&M. And, and that is a part of appropriated funds or APF. Non-appropriated funds, this is like the business aspect of the Air Force. So if there, for example, if there's like a golf course on the installation and the operations of that golf course, which is a money-making venture, does not fall under O&M. It does not fall under appropriated funds. And thou shalt not cross those streams. You cannot use O&M for non-appropriated funds. And another example of this is MILCON or military construction funds. This is money that is very tightly controlled by Congress for the construction of military projects and accounts to be about 1% of the entire DOD budget. So it's not a small amount of money, but it's very tightly controlled and you cannot use MILCON to pay for NAF or NAF to pay for O&M or vice versa. And it makes things very difficult to get anything done. Yeah. So I think this idea of you can't cross the streams, you know, you can't spend the money for something that it wasn't designated for plays into our general business practices because it creates a system that disincentivizes savings. I do not have any reason to save money because I can't spend it other places that I might need it. 
And we've talked about this a little bit, you know, when end of the fiscal year, how if you haven't spent all your money, you're not going to get that same amount next year. And so you end up buying things you probably don't need to. And, you know, our chiefs of staff back in 2013, and we've provided a link in the show notes to this, all of them went to Congress requesting permission to have more flexibility in our acquisition system so that we could spend our money more efficiently. And Congress said, no, thank you. And that's something that, you know, this is why this is a really hard problem. One of the ways Congress and our civilian leaders exercise control over the military is by controlling the purse strings. And we, so we have to respect that. We have to say, thank you, men and women of the United States. This is how you've chosen to go about this system even though we can find flaws with the system and the way it works and doesn't work. Because you're right, Colin, this is sometimes maddening. I have a need in one category. It's been documented. It's been deficient for years and years. I have a surplus in another category. I don't need this. I have too much. Everything I have is brand new. It's fantastic. It's more than I need. But I can't allow the surplus in one area to feed the deficit in another. And that is completely mind-numbingly difficult to manage sometimes. We're not saying that the system is wrong, right? We're not saying that civilian control of the military is wrong. We're not saying that. We're just saying this makes it a really hard problem. And we need to be aware, come up with systems, put them in place so that we can be responsive and move more quickly through these challenges. Yeah. And I think General Brown gives us kind of an idea of how we can move past this a little bit you know, one of the reasons that the colors of money and all of this in our acquisitions process is such an impediment to us is because it has made it so hard to deliver new capability to the Air Force. You know, it's been the norm over our history for it to take 20 years to deliver a new aircraft. And that was the case for the F-22. That's the case for the F-35. And we just can't keep doing that because we don't have the flexibility of spending money however we so choose in order to keep those aircraft up to date or to get new aircraft. And he talks about the need to look into new ways of innovating within the acquisitions process as it currently exists, if not change acquisitions itself. And a great example of this is finding like off the shelf solutions to, to our problems, be it the use of drones or rapid prototyping, 3D printing of parts, you know, all of these other things that the commercial world, the private business is innovating upon that we could bring into the Air Force and make it that much easier for us to update and maintain or create new capabilities within the Air Force toward achieving that 2018 NDS. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that's a really good point for us to transition to this first idea that is frankly a subject of our discussion today. Everything that we just gave is like the background for a few key points that he highlights in his first main point, which is uncontested U.S. Air Force dominance is not assured. He talks about that the time post-Desert Storm has really been anomalous in history, where the United States has had the money, the time, and the distance to develop slowly and that this is changing. So money, we've been relatively prolific. Our country has grown, GDP has grown, all that. We've had a lot of money dedicated towards military. 
for a long time since Desert Storm. That is going to be changing. We've also and had has a lot changed. of and has changed absolutely. Yeah, we could look at the 2013 sequestration really as a start of that. Then time. We've had time. There has been no one else in the playground that could really take our stuff, right? We were the big dogs on top of the hill. That time is gone. We sat back too long. There are peers. We've already outlined and discussed those. They're outlined in the NDS 2 plus 3. We've had distance, right? We've been safe. The tyranny of distance has allowed us to have the time. That is gone, given the way technology is changing. Hypersonics. If you don't know what hypersonics are, just spend you know 20 minutes Googling what hypersonic weapons are. It might change your idea about how safe we are sitting here in the continental United States. But his point is, all of these things are changing. The things that have allowed us to be comfortable and to sit uncontested at the top of the heap, all of those things are changing, and they're changing quickly. And the second main point that General Brown talks about, again, something we can wrap up here, is good enough today will fail tomorrow. He talks about the five core missions, which we've already discussed. Colin and I have already just spent you know, a pretty fair amount of time talking about how what we've been doing, the things we have, the, the bases, the hardware, the attitudes, everything we have was built off of requirements from 50, 60 years ago. And what we've been doing is working, but he highlights why all of those conditions that have allowed us to be good enough are changing. He also talks about how the U.S. military used to be the driver of all the of technology. We used to own all the coolest stuff. We invented the internet, the mouse, the laser, machine learning. All of those things came to the world because of the U.S. military. But we are not driving that technological change anymore. We just aren't. The commercial world is driving it, and we are now trailing. I don't know that we have to be leading in those areas, but we definitely have to at least catch up and take advantage of those commercial solutions. Yeah, that's really what he has said is that we need to take advantage of those innovations and seek out opportunities to employ them more effectively within the way that we're currently doing business or the way that we should be doing business here in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that has really hit home with me today on this paper as we're going through these sections is he really wants us to change the perspective that we bring to this problem set. I don't think he wants us to believe that we're not the dominant air power in the world, we are. It's just that we aren't going to stay there doing what we're doing right now. It's more of a perspective than maybe an actual commentary on on who we are. Yeah, I think that Jenner Brown is trying to break us free of our resistance to change. He He says in his paper that we need to reassess the ways that we look at risk and be willing to divest ourselves of risk in certain areas, but be willing to take on more risk in others. Where prior to today, the Air Force, by and large, has just been a very risk-averse organization. Because we could be, right? Yeah. And to exactly what you were saying before, we had the time, the money, the distance that afforded us the, the ability to avoid risk. But that's no longer the case. And we have to change that, and we have to change that faster. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of playing team sports. This is like the curse of being the champion, right? You've risen to the top, you've beaten everybody, and you know you're the best. And if you're the best long enough, 
you might lose the hunger and the work and the desire that got you there. And you just, you plateau a little bit. And that's what this reminds me of is we got to the top because we wanted it, because we worked hard, because we innovated and we strove. And then we stayed. And what he's saying is, hey, that second, third, fourth place teams, they're coming up to get us fast. And if we don't keep that hunger, we're not going to stay on top. Yeah. We see this play out recently in, in the private business world. Take a look at companies like Blockbuster. They were the largest business for video entertainment. And then what happened? Someone that was young, scrappy, and hungry came up with a better idea and they missed the boat and they're gone. Exactly. They they are completely gone. And it wasn't that they didn't know what was happening. It's that they resisted the change. Yeah. And that's what we have to avoid here. If the Air Force is going to continue to be successful in delivering what the American people expect of us. Yeah. Awesome. I think that'll really cover what we wanted to provide today. A lot in here, you know, two homework assignments. We're just, we're that nice, aren't we? It's the season of giving, you know, I'm all about giving homework. Read the NDS, the 2018 NDS, read General Brown's paper. It really provides a lot of background and context on where we're going as a team. I'm going to give another homework assignment too. Okay. Because it's not enough We've talked about this before. It's not enough to listen to our voices. It's not enough to to do the reading even. You need to engage with it with other people. You need to go find some other people and talk to them about what you're learning in General Brown's paper in the 2018 NDS. We would love for that to happen in the Heritage Room, airforceofficerpodcast.com. Join us there and be part of the discussion. Go find some people, go find some other airmen and talk to them about Accelerate, Change, or Lose and the 2018 National Defense Strategy and what it means for you as an airman, as someone who wants to be an airman, as an American citizen. Discuss it with other people and let's all learn more about this, buy into it so that we can make this change happen. Couldn't agree more. Anything else before we wrap up today, Colin? That should be it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed.